Manarim by Alexis Hult Manarim, all-seeing, incredible infinity. You are body, experience, sensation. From the Prophecy of Colliding Light Chapter 1 Fire There comes a time when the smell of it evolves into something else. A physical sensation, a sound inside your head, burning the walls of your skull as you breathe. The smell of fire echoed inside Lytikai's head with every hurried step on the orange-tinted stone underneath his feet. The smell of the fire he had created. The echo of the fire which had probably burnt down an entire wing of the Institute by now. Fire. His long robe twisted around his calves as he walked. The sharp sound of the fabric cut through the fire in his head like blunted knives. One step. Another. Faster. He'd chosen to run, so that's all he could keep doing. He should probably turn back. He should definitely turn back. Another inhale, cinders sizzling along his sinuses. He'd chosen to run, so he ran. But the fire wouldn't leave. The alarms had gone off at first, but he couldn't hear them any longer. Could mean a lot of things. That the water specialists had already gotten the inferno in check that a tower sounding the alarms had buckled under the force of the fire, that they didn't want to scare the thousands of Ori living in the city, that they wanted Lidikai to think no one was hunting him. Faster. He already looked conspicuous, no reason to slow down. The smell of fire probably surrounded him completely. He didn't look at anything but his feet meeting the ground. It felt cruel that this coincided with an orange prism face. The glass dome over Eilitis shimmered in the same hue as the fire he was fleeing, colouring the entire city various shades of warm orange. He knew his robes were red and yellow even in the white light of the desert outside, but in here his entire body glittered like flames. He saw flickers in every corner, Dangerous eyes following him, whispers in the dark alleys. Another breath. He wondered when last he had taken one. He wondered if he'd forgotten how to exhale. Lightheaded. Forced himself to breathe through the sting of charred wood in his nose. Blinked through flashing images of the fire shooting out of him. Of singed hair. Of screams. There was a whiteout in front of him as he stumbled out through the bolted open gates to the city. Slowly his vision came back, a confusing blur of contrast and colour that he couldn't sort yet. It would take a while. He hadn't been outside the monochrome light of Eilitis in a very long time. He thought he heard marching feet behind him, 
saw unkind glances from a group of Ori standing by one of the white stone pillars of the city wall, so white it blinded him once again, painting dark dots all across his vision. Large, dark ovals in the blurry distance. Some stayed as his eyes adjusted again. The Menda watering hole. Rather than trusting his eyes, he followed the deep, resonating sound coming from the enormous centipedes. As he came closer, he heard the conversation of some of the handlers, laughter, a concerned mutter, but nothing of fires or alarms or screams. Despite that, he became more and more convinced that he must stink of fire, considered brushing himself off with a handful of the grey sand of the Kajiza. He had no idea why he thought that would help anything. He needed to leave, because it was a matter of time and nothing else before those marching feet he kept hearing around him would materialise. He should turn back, face it all. He wouldn't. Didn't register what was said to him, couldn't. He asked for the Menda that left soon, now. Something about luck, him being in it. He almost laughed. It turned into a stiff grimace that didn't fall off his face until he was in a seat as stiff as his attempted grin at the very back of the Menda. A long, beautiful rug ran the entire length of the animal. The Menda's dark skin shimmered metallically in the setting sun. No alarms, no marching feet, the smell of fire mixing with the nothing of the desert evening air diffusing it. He shivered through a slow, laboured exhale, only just now noticed the constant sound of paper crackling into ashes under flames. He instinctively turned to see it. Behind him was just the white vastness of the Kajisa stretching out on the other side of the domed walls of Eilatis. When he turned back towards the front of the Menda, the marching feet had found him. He was surprised at how fast he reconciled with his fate. What had he thought would happen? That he would outrun, burning down the entire Egelin Institute? Only one set of marching feet, however. But what more would they need? He could only dream about what he would face should he also try and resist being held accountable. No point. Marching feet, surrounded by a billowing robe. A billowing robe that flowed and fluttered in the wind before cascading down around the person inside them. They sat down next to Lijikai, hard. Lijikai imagined it must hurt the soft animal they sat on. A dark rumble sounded somewhere underneath the sizzling of burning wood in his head. Egeliner, eh? The tall, gaunt Ori nudged Lijikai in his arm, nodding at the emblem on the side of his robe. Thought they never let you people out of there. So this was how it was going to be. Words first, then the physical shackles. Lidikai tried to see if there were any actual shackles hanging from the silvery blue robes of the Ori in the seat next to him. 
Everything about their body language suggested they would have spun shackles around their fingers as they talked if they had access to any, to be fair. I'm a preceptor myself, at Immer. They leaned closer, ducked under the curtain of black hair framing Lydikai's face to get a better look at him. The movement and the sudden proximity startled him so much that he finally looked the Ori in the face. They had brown skin, a little lighter in shade than Lydikai's, glittering dark golden eyes, and a face covered in founts, magical tattoos, made in silver. The three circles on the bridge of the nose showed that they were to be referred to as they. I'm sorry, do you not talk? A flash of sincerity brushed over the preceptor's face, which Lidikai already felt equipped to judge was a rarity. I do. Lidikai had no idea what there was to say, however. How long was this going to be dragged out? Ah! the preceptor exclaimed, the dishonest grin back on their face now. So, is this the famed Egelin hospitality rather than? Not lowering yourself to exchange words with an inferior Emirian. I had no intention of being rude. The words fell out stiffly. Well then, I'm not beyond starting over. The preceptor reached their hand over, causing more of their founds to peek through from between the deep blue silk sleeve and the edge of a pair of beautiful silver lace gloves. Agalindo. Preceptor. Lydica felt numb, distant from everything. Perhaps he had breathed in too much smoke. Perhaps he was, in fact, lying underneath a pile of charred wood, slowly losing his last breaths of life. Lidjikai. Registrar. His voice sounded as if it came from outside his head. He reached out as well and they both grabbed hold of the other's wrist in a formal greeting. The preceptor's grip was, unsurprisingly, painfully hard. A smug smirk formed on the preceptor's lips as Lydikai uttered his lower position in the Institute hierarchy. Ah, Registrar. And why are you departing our shining beauty of a city? Lydica was starting to think these marching feet had not been approaching to take him away after all, no matter how little sense that made. A sharpest thing of the fire hit blooming through his entire head, a panic slowly recoiling, but more out of exhaustion than relief. I'm visiting a friend. Alert the criers, a dry loud laugh. In Egelin, they are allowed outside friends. Does that not impact your devotion to the arts? They were correct, though allowed was probably not the word. You were allowed, but highly discouraged, with glances and strained mouths and poorly whispered comments. Everything for your results, for knowledge, no distractions. Well... Look where that had gotten him. His nails dug into the soft wood of the armrest. A sharp, loud inhale escaped him, abruptly quieting the chuckle from the preceptor. 
You do not seem like you want company, friend. Agalindo, the Immer preceptor, slapped the armrests decidedly and stood up again, just as the Mender made its first lurch forward. They just barely managed to stay on their feet and tried to laugh at it. They failed. Looked annoyed. Vidikai almost smiled. Wherever the sands will take you, they bowed, causing their robes to billow around them once more before turning and walking to the front of the Mender to probably try and find someone willing to utter more than a few staccatoed syllables. Impossibly, Eilitis's orange shimmering dome shone clear behind him as he turned to look at it, starting to disappear behind him. Still no crowds running to get away from an inferno, no smoke billowing behind the glass, no trace of why his heart was still beating in his throat. Fire was still the only smell he sensed, to the point where he couldn't imagine ever smelling anything else. Why are you departing this shining beauty of a city? Whatever punishment in store for you would surely be better than an aimless flight into the desert. There are no friends. There is nowhere to go. Only the charred remains you keep leaving behind. Soft twilight turned to hard, cold night. Small lanterns were lit as darkness fell and dangled rhythmically along the rows of seats strapped to the mender. A blue light, far from reminding him of fire, Lydica was grateful. His robe was not made for anything but the temperate, domed city he had left. He pulled it tighter around himself, feeling his bony body crack under the strain of his arms. Exhaustion made his limbs shiver, as did the cold air, but his mind felt hollowed out and haunted still. His mouth tasted like iron, his head pounded with dehydration and fatigue. Someone among the few other travellers was snoring quietly. The sky was littered with green and blue stars, resting between the three moons, which were all visible this night. This was the last day of this moon phase. Tomorrow, only Kensaro and Manarim would show up, and Fickle Dalom would hide for a long time. The combined light of the three moons made what they touched a muddled grey. The bright sand rested dimly underneath the vigil of the moons, and the broken ruins scattered throughout the Kajiza rose like jutting bones from the dunes. With a bone-rattling rumble, one of said ruins sank into the sand, disappearing completely. Lydikai stared at the space where the broken piece of a wall had been just a few breaths ago. This wasn't the first time it had happened during the night, but that didn't make it less unnerving to see. Just a few ten breaths ago, another wall had suddenly risen from the sand, blocking the Mender's path. As Lydikai understood it, Mender drivers used the sky to navigate, because nothing was constant in the Kajisa. The entire place was said to be a scar from the time before the Wendrit, but no one seemed able to remember exactly what had been there before or what all those ruins, rising and sinking in the blink of an eye, had been used for, were built by, belonged to. 
Here walk the Enders. Here will the Enders always walk. Lydica frowned at his own whisper. Some old poem about this desert. No idea where he had heard it. He pulled the robe even tighter around himself. His brain felt shattered. He had no idea where this Mendo was heading. He'd most definitely been told, but he had not registered anything said to him. As they had made it out into the desert proper, the handler had put up a transparent glass dome around the seats, which hissed and clicked into place. Obviously a contraption from Ivali Island, with all its relative automation, black volcanic stone and stained glass. For a few breaths, Lydikai had been worried the similarity to the dome above Ailitis would set him off. Set him off to do or feel what? He didn't really know, but he still felt as if something terrible and horrifying was waiting around every corner of his mind. But no such thing had happened. The dome simply protected against the strong winds around the Menda because of the mind-boggling speed it was able to travel at. For some reason, it didn't seem to protect against cold. Without thinking twice about it, what he usually did when he was cold came to him like the well-honed habit it was. Just bring some fire to your hands, warm yourself. And that's when it felt as if whatever had been lurking in the shadows of his mind finally jumped out. He almost screamed, or he did, but he got stuck in his throat because he couldn't breathe. His legs stiffened, bringing him up to standing, only to immediately not hold his meagre weight, making him turn into a disjointed heap of limbs on the beautifully tied rug. Then breath came, painfully, loudly. He could hear someone stirring among the other travellers, and he instinctively clamped his hand over his mouth, wheezing wet breaths through his fingers, feeling his eyes tear. The stink of blackened wood flared up like a slap across the face. He wanted to hold his ears against the sound of resin melting down onto the floor, but he knew it came from inside his head. Stop, please, just... They helped him breathe, at least, the words he kept repeating as quietly as he could. Cumbersomely, he found the seat again, chose not to look to see if someone was staring at him. His hands felt unnaturally cool against his warm forehead. Fuck. Needed water. Hadn't brought more than half a skin of it. Squeezed out the last drops, but all they seemed to do was make him realise how parched he was. He really hoped that this Menda also needed a drink soon, or that the handler fell asleep and they were all just dragged down into the sands, devoured by whatever this desert wanted to forget. Oi! A gentle tap on the sole of his shoe. In hindsight, Lydikai realised that simply opening his eyes would have been a better response. As it were, he flew up from the seat, hands out, ready to do something, though it was admittedly very unclear exactly what. It mostly looked as if he were trying to keep the air around him at bay. 
The shorter Ori in front of Lydico frowned and shook their sun-scorched, ruddy head, putting some strands of greasy beige hair behind the short, pointed tip of their ear. They held out one hand of their own, but palm up. This is where everyone gets off, Ratuya. Lydico saw the other Ori's gaze trail the many founts on his face, trying to make something of them, but seemingly not getting further than Ratuya institutional mage. Fair enough, as definitions went. If you don't have any traveller's currency on you, I can settle with moss, but that's going to cost you extra. Lydico blinked. A few times too many for the other Ori's frown not to deepen. Then he snapped out of it, realising he did indeed have means of paying. He had many things in his worn shoulder bag, which probably had no place whatsoever being in a shoulder bag. His fingers trailed the edges of a rusty pair of scissors, the softness of three different shirts, the hard read of a pen, and the worn pages of a book, before he finally managed to get the small patch of glass beads out. Are these still acceptable as traveller's fare? He poured out some of the beads finely cut and decorated with patterns made with adamantine needles, picked a purple and a blue one, which, if he remembered correctly, should be rather more than enough. Sure, sure, the handler with an increasingly prickly mood muttered. I... Lydica coughed loudly as the handler was about to turn. It stopped them. <clears throat> Where are we? For some reason, it came out in a tone that seemed bizarrely cheerful to Lidjikai. Visiting a friend, eh? The Ori muttered too quietly for Lidjikai to hear it within the suitable time for a reply. Either they had ways of hearing everything that was said on the Mender, or that preceptor had been talking. The latter seemed extremely probable. The former, not so much. He hoped. You're in Nora's oasis village, the handler seemed to consider something. Then they shrugged. Keep that close. Didico's hand stiffened around the pouch, causing the little glass beads in it to rustle nervously. And maybe wear a hood or something. At least that's what it sounded like to Didico. The muttering disappeared with the handler. The sun was high and the glass dome over the menda was gone again. A set of stairs had been put against the side of the animal, and Lidikai was the last passenger to leave. The menda watering hole was something that had been artificially created here, it seemed. A narrow stone pipe led out from the wall to a shallow pool of water. The eyeless front of the large, shimmering animal crept into the pool, quickly draining the water there. Lidikai licked his parched lips. They felt like the surface of a rock. The place felt entirely deserted, a ghost of a town in the middle of an endless sea of dunes around it. The tall walls had sand creeping up almost to the very top of them, as if the Kajisa was in the process of slow, calculating suffocation of the village. Above the edge of the walls rose a narrow tower, twisting around itself like a snail's shell. It was made in rough-hued sandstone, not the shimmering palescence of the much, much larger similar towers of Eilitis. In Eilitis, 
All the towers housed a magical institute. Here, he had no idea what it might hold. He wondered if this had once been a tiny apex, and if there were remnants of a glass dome atop the high walls. There was something so strange to him about the time of day combined with the hauntingly abandoned air of the place he cumbersomely approached in the sand. The low, multi-layer rumble of the Menda was even more unsettling when it was the only sound apart from the unpredictable bursts of wind. Notably, Norus was not surrounded by any visible ruins right now, and that, at least, brought about a certain calm, even if the comparable desolation somehow managed to be rather distressing as well. The giant double doors, looking as if they were made for ten ore standing on each other's shoulders, were bolted firmly shut. Lidikai momentarily wondered if this was all an extended joke on the Mender Handler's part and started to consider whether he should laugh at some point soon or if he should do something rather less pleasant as a response. That's when he noticed a smaller door carved out of the larger one. It too was shut, but it had open little windows at several different eye heights. The other travellers sure had been quick to get to wherever they were getting. Or maybe he had been sleeping on the Mender for longer than he first thought. He did not enjoy that last explanation. As Lady Kai stepped closer to the topmost little window, two sharp, bright yellow eyes met his through the soft curtain of sandy mist hanging in the air. Nothing else happened. Lady Kai cleared his throat. May I come in? The polite part of the sentence disappeared into the wind, whereas the latter part of it became overcompensatingly loud. The firm stare from the other set of eyes seemed to linger much longer than was necessary, but Lidikaya could entertain the thought that that feeling had more to do with his slowly building mortification than fact. Finally, however, the smaller door inched open and Lidikaya more or less jumped through the narrow gap. The silence behind the gates made him realise how loud the wind outside actually was. But this did also not feel like entering a village at all. It felt like walking into a city of dead. Narrow tall houses rose in an abandoned lane before him, ghostly in their Kajiza white-blue stone, and even more so with the sand whirling in the air. The sun reached the tops of the houses starkly, causing those parts to seem detached from the rest, glowing white geometric shapes hovering in the air. The ori by his side drew his attention back to them by moving, a loud rustle sounding from their clothes. Jidikai couldn't stop his frown as he turned to properly look at them. The way they were dressed seemed almost like yet another joke he didn't follow. Matching the stone and the houses and the sand... The Ori wore grey, almost white, bluish clothes in a crinkly fabric, causing the sunlight to bounce in a way that made it look like the Ori was always moving. A long skirt, shaped like the bell of a flower, almost met the ground above the Ori's bare feet. Their upper body was also completely covered, from long sleeves to high neck. The tight curls of their black hair was cut short, close to their head. Lady Kai's eyes sought the moon signs on the bridge of their nose. One circle on it, like on him, denoting another he.
born under the sole vigilant Manarim, the last of the moons. Not a single fount on this other Ori's face. Lady Kay realised that the handler and probably others on the mender had not had any either. It had been a while since he saw faces completely without them. Dark freckles dotted this Ori's brown skin, making the red of the moon sign somehow blend in more, or stand out more. It looked different, was the point. You are in. It was a drawl, accented in a way unfamiliar to Lejikai. Yes, Ratha. Lejikai bowed his head a little to accompany the thanks. The other Ori's face only seemed to harden at it. Only now did Lidikai notice the two sheathed daggers hanging off a grey belt running twice around the sturdy waist of the Ori. Dark grey threats hiding and showing in turns among the waves of the skirt. I think I need to get to an inn, or a tavern, or something along those lines. It felt as if sand coated his entire throat by now. Follow the road, take a right at the square. He turned from Lydikai to stare out one of the windows in the door again. Lydikai, unlike how he had spent the last 25 years, did as he was told. The gaping small square windows in the bluish-white walls rising around him made him hurry. It made no sense that no one was out. It couldn't make sense. Whatever the reason was, it only made him hurry more. As such, he almost jogged past the sand-blasted wooden sign informatively saying in, in two different languages. Sound came from inside, and because of it being the only house from which such a thing came, that too only added to the strange feeling of the place. Lidikai briefly considered just spending the entire rest of the day in an alley, waiting until another mender came. A brisk wind full of sand, getting it into his nostrils and eyes, seemed to want him to reconsider that. He did. A wall of sensations hit him as he stepped inside, and his first coherent thought was how impressively soundproof the dodgy-looking door was. After that, he tried to take in everything at once. It was warm in a much different way than standing right underneath the sun outside the village walls was, stuffy and humid. The place was small, and there were people everywhere, on the floor, on the table, some on stacks of cushions, some in other people's laps. They were almost exclusively dressed in the same bright fabric as the guard by the gate, though the level of coverage of the body varied drastically from Ori to Ori. The atmosphere was loud, so... Very, very loud and friendly, familiar, close. Some people in a corner were playing retna and akak, alongside some kind of scold reciting in kasani. The air smelled of incense and beeswax, old alcohol and tea. It was familiar and foreign to him at the same time. Only after what must have been way too many breaths for custom did he realise that he was just standing there, staring at the whole scene, and he realised that many of the people in here had started to stare back. He knew that stare well. They were trying to make out what his founts represented, what the danger he might pose, if any.
Airaratuya. It was not a friendly greeting as far as tone went. Lidikai turned to meet the voice behind him. She was shorter than him, and she looked very tired. An attempt at the smile quickly poured off her face and instead settled in marked disinterest. Her watery, bloodshot, dark brown eyes did not seek his founts. On the tip of the fingers of one of her hands, she was balancing a ceramic tray heaped with dirty glasses. What can we do for you? She too, like the scold, spoke in Kasani, but in a dialect he was unused to. She leaned in a little closer as she talked, almost shouted to him. He tried to take a step back, but that only made him hit his heel into the door behind him. I need a... room? He looked around, realizing he didn't really know where said room would be. Talk to Nock. She nodded in some unclear direction. When Lidikai didn't move, she leaned even further in, talking very slowly and even louder, switching to Midorilic. Talk to knock. She held out a calloused hand toward the back of the room. In the back. A stiff smile appeared on Lidikai's face as a means to make her back away again. He didn't think he could credit that grimace in the end, but she did move on towards someone else, at the very least. Making it to the back of the room was a struggle in its own right. Lidikai was hit by wayward swinging arms, hips and heads, dangling jewellery and long pointed ears, amused or concerned or hostile looks on his way towards the direction the bar staff had pointed in. In the back, a little nook was closed off by a wooden counter on all sides, and beams ran floor to ceiling, as well as across the ceiling itself. From them hung what seemed an excessive number of small paper lanterns, emitting a warm, soft glow. Lady Kai let out a tense exhale through his nose. Behind the counter reclined a bony-looking ori, draped in the same bright fabric as on most others in here, but only on their lower body. The dark brown chest seemed covered in a thin layer of perspiration which Lidikai could, regrettably, definitely relate to in the cramped heat of this place. The black linen shirt underneath his robes clung to his back and he fought not to furiously scratch it. The Ori, who Lidikai assumed must be the one called the Nock, had followed his struggles up to the counter with an amused little smirk which did not leave when he finally stopped in front of the worn wooden bar. Lidikai's eyes soon abandoned that smirk, however, in favour of what was on her forehead. A delicately carved, intricately designed scar fanning out towards her temples. Through it ran a very faintly glowing green line. He swallowed, noticeably. A hex brand worn openly among people. He cleared his throat, and here he was the one being stared at. She viewed him expectantly, smirk only growing, it seemed. I need a... His words were drowned in the chorus of what had turned into song proper from the scold and the other musicians, a chorus which everyone in the establishment knew, it seemed, 
He waited for the incomprehensibly loud noise to die down again, all the while being watched by this hex-brand-wearing Ori. A trickle of sharp heat ran from his shoulder, through his elbow, to his fingers. No, not now, not here. A room for the day and night. Unclear if that last bit was needed, he realised. The Ori called Knock stood up, nodding. Silver chains dangled from her earlobe as she moved. The paper lanterns made her bony body shift and twist in the shadows. Then the air went out of Lidikai because his diaphragm was pressed against the edge of the bar and Nox's skeletal hand was hard around his chin, silver rings pressing into his skin coldly. Her breath was burning his ear as she spoke, shouting over the singing which had once again turned loud just as she pulled him towards her. Ten moths for a night, or five blues, or... She lowered her voice and her smile came a tiny bit closer to his ear, which sent a surge through Lidikai's initial petrification. He tore away hard, feeling one of her nails drag across the side of his cheek. His hand was on the wood of the bar and the smell of soot, coming blessedly from the outside of his head this time, struck both their noses simultaneously. Nox stared down at Lidikai's hand on the counter, flicking it away with a frustrated grunt at the smoke coiling around it. She wrapped her finger against a time-bleached note on one of the wooden supports. No magic indoors, it said, in four languages, two of which Lidikai had to guess the meaning of. She shook her head at the coal black shape of a hand Lidikai had left in the wood. Not that it drew much attention among the cuts, bruises, stains and other burn marks already there. Lidikai tried to ignore the fact that his breathing refused to go below his windpipe again and dug around furiously in his shoulder bag, basically throwing the five little blue glass beads down when he'd found the pouch. The Ori named Nock simply shrugged, the smirk back in full force. Lidikai considered mentioning that should he burn down the entire place, it would count as outdoors soon enough. He did not mention that. Instead, he grabbed the crooked key she put down on the counter with such force he almost dropped it on the sticky floor. She waved him in a direction of the building he hadn't seen before. A set of unstable-seeming stairs led up through a hole in the ceiling a hole which looked as if it had been made by someone just hitting a blunt object against it until it made a suitably ori-sized opening. It seemed to lead up to only darkness, in comparison to the brightly lit chaos that was steadily increasing downstairs. The wood creaked angrily under his feet as he hurried up into what turned out to be a dimly lit, very narrow corridor with four doors, two on each side. A metal slab hung from the key he had been given, which someone had carved a seven into. He frowned. The doors were numbered six through nine, but there were only the four of them. He sighed. Wondered if anyone else from the Menda were behind one of the other numbers. The door flew up, suggesting the entire building was leaning, and the room behind it was more of a tall closet, perfectly square. The door closed and locked passably, with the key and with a very unnecessary tiny metal hinge on the inside. 
Between two of the walls, someone had pressed down a bumpy pallet. It was so dust-covered it looked almost part of the grey stone floor. A similarly grey cover was heaped on one end of the pallet, which Lydikai lifted off with his foot and dumped in the other corner of the tiny room. One of the warm-hued paper lanterns hung from the ceiling, next to a large shard of reflective glass leaning against the wall. Lydikai almost didn't notice the shiver going through him as he met his own reflection. He usually only looked in the mirror once a day, to make sure he'd gotten all the appropriate clothes on for a day in the Institute. He should look in the mirror for other reasons. Sometimes his colleagues even went to the length of telling him so to his face. The hair. A panicked flight through a desert had, unsurprisingly, not done any wonders for that part of his looks, which everyone seemed inclined to complain about. Lydikai unenthusiastically spun a strand of it between his thin fingers. It felt even more bristly than usual with all the sand-coating parts of it. The black looked even more matte as well. He knew without reaching into it to check that parts of the doggedly straight mess had matted again. Some of it might be possible to get out. Most of it probably not. A dull thought went to the rusty scissors in the bag. He stepped a little closer to the dirty mirror shard. His dark golden eyes looked less exhausted than they should. Almost like in defiance, they shone as brightly as ever behind his thick black eyelashes. He found himself actually looking at the founts on his face, since he had seen so many faces without any now. Usually he didn't think about that they were there, it was just part of his face. He gingerly traced the various bronze and black-coloured lines on dots on his brown cheeks and temples. The zigzag pattern on his forehead, wide at the bottom and narrower at the top, symbolising a stylized flame, responded with a soft, instant warmth as his fingertips met it. It spread instantly, went through the founts on his neck, down to the big ones on his chest and back, all the way out to his arms and fingers. He exhaled sharply. Felt like a volatile ball of badly put-out cinders. Ignoring the rough surface of the scissors, he dug all the way into the bottom of his bag and fished out the half-bottle of Samaria's spirit that he shouldn't have had in his bag, but was now intensely happy that he had forgotten to take out. The comforting bloom of spices and numbness made him almost want to laugh. Instead, he grunted softly as he sank down onto the pallet, which somehow managed to be even more uncomfortable than it looked. The liquid in the clear bottle made a sound like water against a rocky shore. The muffled noise of the crowd downstairs had become a monotone. He leaned back against the stone wall, cool like snakeskin. He knew who he had been thinking about going to. Knew he was thinking about going to her because he quite literally, had no one else on the outside to go to. Apart from perhaps his Yabi and her life partner, but that... No, not an option. Didn't need, nor did he know if he'd survive, more sense of defeat. He'd realised, somewhere in the middle of the night on the Mender, that he wouldn't go back to the Institute. Too far gone now, in more ways than one. 
In fact, the thought almost threatened to make reality of the warning he hadn't uttered to the Ori downstairs. Wouldn't be the first time he reduced a stone house to rubble. There somehow always seemed to be enough flammable things keeping every building together. Uncomfortably, he shifted as a rush of unwelcome, vague memories hit him. Visiting a friend. He couldn't call her that. That would ignore most of what they had been through, and definitely how they separated. Other, much more distant memories trickled at the edges of his mind. Digging up graves, trying to decide the most useful branch of the School of Ash. Yelling about it, one of them laughing, differing ideas about what a decent drink is. Too close, synchronized breathing, synchronized limbs. Too close to dug up graves. He took another too long swig from the bottle. Thought of the hex-branded Ori downstairs. Chewed the inside of his cheek. He hadn't only kept track of where Taryn lived over the decades, not just spent resources tracking her down whenever he choked on his own guilt. Indeed, if what he'd learned was true, she would also be covered in hexes now, he supposed. This time, the sigh came out through parted lips and with an accompanying quiet groan. Don't remember, just move. You've chosen to run, so run.